Today, I'd like to begin by talking about origin stories. Origin stories. Everyone knows kind of what these are, right? They're origins. Uh, we see these in uh, with superheroes and supervillains. It's the backstory of, of revealing how a character or a team of characters got their superpowers or how they became who they are. How they became superheroes, how they became uh, supervillains. And basically, origin stories uh, are all the rage today. I love origin stories. I love the origin stories of Star Wars. Any Star Wars fans in the house? Yes? Okay, cool. Yes, light woos. Uh, That's very good. Uh, I love the origin story of Batman. Batman begins. Ooh, that was a good one. All the bats and he's upside down. It's the whole thing. It's wonderful. Um, I love uh, podcasts. There's this one podcast series called How I Built This. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all my nerds in the house. We doing it. Uh, so How I Built This has all like how they built companies. I love origin stories of how companies were. And there's one in particular that I really love uh, by and it's uh, the founders of Soul Cycle. Uh, how a couple of uh, women, uh, women with young children in the Upper East Side could go from like just sitting around to like, hey, let's build an empire and let's sell it. Let's sell seven locations for $80 million. How in the world did that happen? Well, they figured it out. Uh, I love the origin story of Apple and Bill Gates. And I love the origin story of just a kid from Akron named LeBron James. I love it. I love it. I love it. The greatest basketball player of all time, LeBron James. Um, And so today, uh, the greatest origin story of all time The origin story of Jesus is, in fact, the greatest origin story of all time. Think about it. It has all the elements of an origin story. You've got the humble beginnings. You've got the fact that he was born to a mom that really wasn't married. And so part of what Christmas is, is believing what someone says about their sex life. And you've got him, uh, him being born to Mary and the pledge to be married to Joseph. And they come from Nazareth. And if you don't know anything about Nazareth, Nazareth wasn't like the center of metropolitan cosmopolitan culture. It was sort of the backwoods part of the country or where people really weren't all that great or fun or like exciting. And, and so even some of Jesus' own disciples, they go, Nazareth, who could come out of Nazareth? So Jesus comes out of Nazareth, very humble beginnings. He has to travel to Bethlehem for a census and all these people are traveling there. And so there's no room for him in one of their, the neighboring houses. And so basically he's born in a what? That's right. Mumbles. It is. He's born. <laughs> he is born in basically a detached garage. He's born in a detached. Now you and I weren't born in a detached garage. I was born in a hospital. Maybe some of you, he had mid or born of midwives in some sort of uh, pool in a house or something. I don't know. You know, what do they call it? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And so uh, and I was born in America under the flourishing economy of President Ronald Reagan. Jesus was, in fact, born under Roman oppression. Imagine another country taking over your country, oppressing you as people. We see this amazing story where, like, no one really knows who he does. He's born of humble beginnings, but there's these shepherds. They're hanging out, and they're watching their 
flocks by night, and then all of a sudden, probably the greatest worship service of all time starts happening where a thousand angels come out and there's like a laser light show and fog machines. And there's all these things that we really want in worship. They're happening and the angels are doing it. And then they're like, and then the, and after the angel, angels leave, they're like, well, we got to go see him. They go to see him. And on the way, they're probably like, well, you know, you know, uh, I don't know. I could have done without the smoke machine, but the lasers were cool. All that. And then we see shortly after the whole birth and the whole scene, he has to, Jesus and his family have to flee to Egypt to avoid being killed. And in Egypt, they were refugees. They were refugees and they were trying to avoid. And then the Magi come and visit them. Magi are what we call wise men. They come and they bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the guy that brought the myrrh thought that they had all agreed on a $10 gift limit. Like, I thought we all agreed. You brought gold. I feel like an idiot for the son of God. So they do all these. And so like all these humble beginnings and all these little things. And who knew that this backwoods Jesus guy who was a refugee for a little while would come back and he would become the most talked about figure in all of human history. Who knew that? Who knew that? And the question for me is, why do we love stories like this? Why do we love the story of Jesus? Why do we love origin stories. Well, I believe there's two reasons we like origin stories. First is, and if you're like me uh, at all, um, or if you're just like you, that's fine too. Uh, we like origin stories because we like to see ourselves in the story. We like to see someone go from not winning to winning. And we go, man, maybe that could be me. Maybe that's something I could see in my own life. And I think the second reason why we like origin stories is whenever we hear or read or watch an origin story, they're powerful because we already know how the story is going to end. Like we know, and we'd like to connect the dots between, oh, this person ended up accomplishing this, but how did they start? How did they get there? How did the, what were the, what's the psychological characters or the characters, the people involved in the stories that shape the person to become who they are? And so today we're going to be looking in the book of John. And in John's gospel, we see that Jesus is told not of an origin story like we usually get in the other gospels. We get a different kind of origin story where someone is just making sense of everything that Jesus represents. He assumes, John, the writer of John, assumes that his audience already knows who Jesus is. It was the last gospel to be written. And so he doesn't talk about birth or angels or mangers or even myrrh. What he does is he, tell, he jumps right in and he tells us the meaning and the power of the Christmas story. And so this Christmas, this Christmas week, what I want to focus on for our time is the Christmas story, why it matters, why Jesus coming to earth matters. And I don't want us to miss on this simple yet powerful set of verses that we read about in John. And so we're concluding our series called Wonder, which is the wonder of Christmas. And so I've called today's talk, The Wonder of Jesus. I'm going to pray and invite God's presence. Will you join me and pray with me? God, we welcome you here. We already know that you're here, but I ask that you increase our awareness of your presence. I ask God that you would help us to understand your word and God, I ask, uh, there's a lot of uh, people that come here f with a lot of different reasons. And I ask that you would meet us, speak to us, guide us, talk to us, God. If you don't speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, then we're just a bunch of people at 10 a.m. sitting in an elementary school. So we invite you to be here. 
God, help me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, throughout the month of December, the Advent season, which is like basically the, means the arrival, the coming of Jesus. We celebrate Jesus. We've been talking about Jesus, and we've been looking at, each week, we've been looking at a different one of the Gospels to see how they depict the origin story of Jesus. And we looked at Matthew the first week, Mark the second week, Luke the third week, and today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. And uh, like I said before, John doesn't really give us a birth story. No little manger, no little baby Jesus, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus in his little golden diapers. None of that. What he does is something completely different. Instead, he launches right into why Jesus is important. Why Jesus is important for you and why Jesus is important for me. And he does so by making a thesis statement. Does anyone know what a thesis statement is? Does anybody know? Yes. Good. Excellent. There's a handful. I don't know how the rest of you ended up here, uh, but there's these things called thesis statements. And thesis statements are important because if you've done any kind of school, if you've written anything ever that's longer than two paragraphs, if you've done any arguing in public or public speaking, it's important to have some kind of a thesis statement. So, for example, let me give you a couple of objectionable examples of a thesis statement. Right here, I have one that says about vaccines. Uh, vaccines, because many children are unable to vaccinate due to illness, we must require that all healthy and able children be vaccinated in order to have herd immunity. Now, you don't have to agree with this or disagree with this. This is not like the point of my sermon. I just found these online. I'm like, okay, that's good enough. Let's just use it. And so we've got this. So like that would be an example of a thesis statement. Here's what I think. Here's what I believe. Here's what this is going to be about. And then you would write more about that. Or for example, here about work-life balance. Corporations should provide more work from home opportunities and six-hour workdays. Ooh, I like that. So that office workers have a better work-life balance and are more likely to be productive when they are in the office. Okay, so if you're the boss, you might disagree with this. And if you're a worker, you're like, yeah, well, we want to work four hours. And so you could get behind this type of a thesis. Here's what I'm going to say. This is my thesis. Now I'm going to demonstrate why this is true. And now those are kind of objectionable. Some people may or may not like corporate life or working a lot, working low. Some people may have different opinions about vaccines. Here's an undisputable thesis. It goes like this. Chris's birthday. Since Chris's birthday lands on December 28th, and people tend to be wrapped up in celebrating the birth of the Savior and forget to reach out to him, everyone should take out their phone right now and put a reminder in their calendar to text, email, or call him on his birthday so he doesn't feel sad and dejected. So that is thesis statements. They're true. They're powerful. And did I mention they're very true? So I don't see any phones out feeling dejected already. So. Thesis statements, they're essential. You got to have them. And it's really good when you make them good, when you make them powerful. And this is what John does. He doesn't start with in a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He starts with this. John 1, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What an interesting, beautiful, poetic, different way to start a story. And if you notice, the word word is capitalized. 
Why is that? Well, it's meant to describe Jesus. It's meant to describe the Son of God. It's meant to describe how it represents the communication of God, who God is. And so Jesus is being laid out in the story. He's being referred to as the Word. And it's another name to start this origin story of this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. But we also see that John is proclaiming something big. Coming in the form of human flesh, we have God. The birth and life of Jesus is huge. It represents something enormous. And John is saying that the coming of Jesus, the coming of the word is as big as the creation story. And in fact, he's also saying that this being, the word, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, uh, not the Holy Spirit, uh, like the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, and Jesus, all the Trinity within that Jesus, he was there at the beginning. He was there at the creation of the world. He was part of the story when the earth was made. And what we see is, and if you're following along in your notes, you can write this down. Or if you're making mental notes, you can do that too. The son of God coming is important. The son of God coming is important. Specifically, John helps us to understand how and why Jesus coming is important for his readers. He lays out three reasons why this is important right in these verses. And these three reasons I think are very pertinent for Christmas. And the first one is this through Jesus, we are formed through Jesus. You and me were formed. Look what he says in verse three. Again, he says through him, all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. God created everything, everything that we see. God created, he made everything, everything that we experience. God formed everything that we know in the world and in the universe. He is in all of it. He made all of it. That includes you and that includes me. He formed you. He formed me. He formed our bodies. He formed our brains. He came up with the idea of personalities. He came up with the idea of your personality. How creative is that? I mean, who comes up with this stuff? You're so unique and different. You're such a beautiful little snowflake. He came up with that. And in the book of Jeremiah, we read that before we were even born, God knew us, that he formed us in our mother's womb, that he played a part in it, that God knew us before the rest of the world got to know us. You realize that he knew that some of you were going to grow up and you were going to become passionate about fighting injustice. He knew that some of you were going to grow up and you were going to be hopeless romantics. I love him. I love him. And I don't care who knows. He knew that some of you were going to love to build your physical body and play sports. And he knew others of you would love the math, the maths, the math. He knew that you would love the sciences, like the hard sciences, the STEM sciences. He knew that you would love math. He knew that about you. And when I was born, he absolutely knew that I couldn't do anything with math and science. <laughs> he knew it was going to be really bad for me. Let me, just, like, let me just tell you like how bad it was. I got thrown out of my 10th grade science class. I, think, I don't think this is because God made me do it. But like, you know, when you're in 10th grade, you'll blame anybody. But... When you're supposed to be dissecting the frog, it's not good to throw it across the room at the girl you like because it doesn't work. 
And also then when you get, when you get in a little, like 11th grade, I took like this other, uh, the, uh, this other science chemistry class. So in, in my school, you had uh, honors chemistry, you had regular chemistry, and you had chemistry in action. And, <laughs> and God knew I was going to take chemistry in action. And what did you study in chemistry in action? You studied for nine weeks, you studied water and oil, two of America's greatest resources. So, and I, I was so bad, so I married a chemist. Um, <laughs> Now, I don't know if I can blame God for the fact that I'm not good at math and science, but God knew me. He knows us. He formed us. He knows who we are. God made everything and everybody, every invention, everything from the wheel to the iPhone, the iPhone 11 Pro. He knew everything. He, he knew that it, what, what it was going to take to take the earthly materials. And even in those earthly materials, all the things that have been made come from stuff that he has made. Everything. He is involved in everything. He's involved in the big picture of our lives, and he is also involved in the details of our lives. And the implication of th- is this this Christmas, this Christmas, this is why you should get out of your seat. Don't, but this is why you should get out of your seat and get excited and celebrate Christmas. Why? Why? Why the coming of Jesus? Why the word? Who made all, nothing is without. Why should you do that? Because Jesus is powerful. If Jesus invented everything, it means that he knows how everything works. And if Jesus is powerful, everything, that means he's powerful over everything, including our lives. And he understands how everything works in our lives and how everything works in our world. That means that Jesus is more powerful Then the next election, who's going to be elected next year in the presidential election? He's more powerful than the leaders of our country. Do you believe that? Or do you cower in fear? No, we don't have to because Jesus, by his very nature, made everything. So he's the king. We can have people, rulers will come and go, but Jesus in his power will be there forever. Jesus has, on a more personal level, Jesus has power over our doubts. The things we can't believe or we're not sure about. Jesus has power to free us from our addictions. Jesus has power to free us from the insecurities that drive us, that force us or seemingly force us to make decisions that we know are not good for us. Jesus has power to break those things. Jesus has power to heal the broken relationships in our lives. And Jesus has power to bring meaning to our lives. Why? Because he made it all. He understands how it works. And the second implication of Jesus forming us is this. It doesn't just say, the implications of the text are, Jesus not just formed us, but he is forming us. That he's forming us. That he's still involved with us. He's continuing to form us. Let me ask you a personal question. Is it possible that the circumstances you are experiencing right now, can be used to form you into something better. Is it possible? Do you believe it's possible? Thank you, crowd response. Yes. And is it possible that Jesus is God and Jesus is powerful and Jesus is involved in the detail of our lives and that Jesus is using and working through the circumstances of our lives? Is it possible? Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that God and Jesus are 
orchestrating all the circumstances in our lives. Some, some of these circumstances that we find ourselves might be the result of our own choices. Some of our circumstances might actually be the result of other people's choices. Uh, for instance, if you find yourself in something that's unhealthy and that unhealthy thing is affecting you and affecting others, uh, and you choose that unhealthy thing on a regular basis, I'm not saying that God orchestrated for you to do that. That might be on you. Or if somebody really hurt you, if someone really said something or did something, or you're just, you know, you've grown up and you still never dealt with that thing that happened with the thing, with the thing, and the person, the person. Never really, it's never really gotten over it. And you carry it around. You carry it as a weight. It affects your relationships. It affects how you treat people. It affects how you show up in the world on a regular basis. I'm not saying that God is up in heaven like, I'm going to make this person miserable so that they must turn and grovel to me. That's not what I'm saying here. No. What I am saying is that circumstances exist. Things happen. We make choices. People make choices that sometimes negatively affect us, with us. And in the midst of those circumstances, we find Jesus committed to forming us, committing to healing us, committing to changing us. And friends, if there is any truth that we can cling to this Christmas, Jesus is working to form you this Christmas. He is working to form you through your uncertain work situation. He's working to form you into something greater in the midst of a financial difficulty. Jesus is working through the unknowns that you feel to call you to something greater. Jesus is forming you. Now, let me tell you a brief story. Um, There was this time period where I worked for a church, and there was a three-year period where I didn't. And like... I was, and as I exited the staff and I I went and did some other things for a little while, I really didn't understand, like, I didn't understand, like, I felt bad because, like, you're part of this team. There was four floors of offices of people working for the church. There was, like, 8,000 people that would, eight to 10,000 people on the weekends uh, that would show up on the weekends. And, like, everywhere I went, I was like, hey, I'm Chris Meekin. And it was, like, really fun. And, And then overnight, dude, like, I just, like, you know, you leave staff, you go do something else for a while. And, like, I had really, I had a really hard time making sense of, like, being dropped off and left off. I felt like, man, I was on the team. It was all exciting. And the next day, like, I just felt like I wasn't part of the team anymore. And, like, I just couldn't understand how I had gotten there. And it felt like, yeah, have you ever been on a, has anyone here ever been on a cruise ship? Uh, who's willing to admit it? Okay. Other people are like, yeah, I know what a thesis statement is. Yeah, I've been on a cruise ship. Uh, I love cruise ships. Um, it's like a floating hotel with a buffet. So, like, working for this church was a lot like being on a cruise ship. It's amazing. Like, everything's happening. There's all these slides, and, like, Shaq is like, hey, come on the big boat. And you've got the Lido deck and you're sunbathing. You're like, let's go to the front of the boat. And you're like, I'm the king of the world. And everything's so exciting. You're like, let's go down. Uh, what do you want? To, you want a room with a view? Oh, no, internal room. It's way darker in there. It's so fun. And you go to the formal dining room. We wear the tie and all the things. And it's so exciting. You could do whatever. It's a big playground. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, it's time to head out. And so they, uh, they're like, we're going we're gonna to let you go. So we're going to take, take this little, uh, little canoe and we're going to lower you off the side of the cruise ship. And then they're going to cut the ties and you're just floating away. 
And you're like looking back at the ship and they're waving and you're waving and you're like, oh, this is getting really scary. And the waves are getting choppy and big. And they're like, and they're like, well, why isn't he paddling? And you're like, I don't, and you're like, I can still hear you. You're right here. And, and it, and it just, it feels really hard to be separated and not know what's going to happen when you are a part of something and you're and I had trouble interpreting my circumstances, but I didn't understand at the time what God was preparing me for. I didn't understand that God was forming me for something greater and something that he wanted for me, something that he wanted for my wife, that he wanted for our family. And had I stayed on that cruise ship in that way, I would have never been able to do what we're doing now. Would have never seen, we would have never been a part of Los Angeles, but I had trouble understanding that God was forming me in a deeper way. And friends, what I'm trying to tell you by that story is like, I don't, I don't know all of your circumstances. I don't know what you're walking through right now, but there are certain things that you're experiencing right now that um, you don't actually know how to interpret them. And later, those things will make sense. But what I'm commending to you today is that you must trust that something is happening in this process. The things that you don't understand. God is forming you. God is doing something in you. And so what I want you to do Here's how you apply this. You take just a minute, even right now or wherever you're at uh, this week, you just take one minute and you think about a circumstance. You think about a situation, something that you're walking through right now. And you just pause. You say, God, I think I know, or maybe I'm just in the fog and I don't understand, but God, how are you using this to form me? How are you speaking to me? God, what do you want me to do? What are you asking me to choose or not choose? What are you asking me to, to give up, surrender to you? And for some of you, you will hear an answer right away. Some of you, it will be a delayed answer. Some of you, God will speak to you through his spirit, to your mind, through the church, through other people, through the Bible. And he'll say, you got to stick it out. Don't change anything. And for some of you, he may say, it's time to walk. It's time to cut. It's time to move on. It's time to move away from a way you've been thinking about yourself. It's time to leave a job. It's time to leave a relationship. It's time to recommit to a relationship. God may be forming you by calling you to obey in a certain way. This Christmas, you are formed. You are being formed. That we are being formed. Don't miss that. That's what the word is. We're being formed. Will you trust him this Christmas? Uh, so the Son of God is coming, is, is important. We see that through Jesus we are formed. But we also see through these verses is through Jesus we are filled. Look at John 1, 4 on the screen. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Should be humankind, whatever. And, you know, certainly John was saying that Jesus... Uh, has the ability to create like biological life, but don't mess this. Look at what he says. Like in detail, it says, it says that in him was life in him was life. What does this mean? Well, you may not know this, but the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek, uh, at least the new Testament. And, uh, in that we learned that, uh, the, that in the Greek, there's two words for the word life. On the one hand, there, there is the word bios, which means biological life. 
bios is biological life. It's, um, it's the material life. It's the stuff of life. Like this is bios and this is bios and this awesome shirt that I threw on over this bios. But there's a second Greek word that John uses to describe life. And that's the word zoe. Zoe. Zoe means spiritual life. Zoe is the word that's used in these verses. In him was zoe. And that zoe was the light of all of mankind. Zoe is the word that Jesus uses in John 10.10 where he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have spiritual life and have it to the full. In him was spiritual life. And that spiritual life was the light of mankind. Zoe is what Jesus promised to his followers. Zoe is what we see in John 1, 4. He is saying that spiritual life can only be found in Christ. Friends, I believe that it is the neglect of Zoe, spiritual life. This is the thing that makes Americans so unhappy. Our culture has trained us to think that if we have more bios, more stuff, more material life, then we will be satisfied. Bios versus Zoe. More biological life versus more Zoe. This is how we're trained to think. Every marketing company, every advertising agency, we hear constant messages. We are bombarded on our phones when we scroll through our phones and they, they run an ad and you're like, I did not tell that to anyone. I was only thinking it. And now there's an ad telling me those are Bios. Those are bios ads. It's about physical life. How did they know I was thinking that? And all the things we see, everything moving towards us, vying for our time and our energy and our money, bios. It's all about your body. It's about feeding your body, pampering your body, enhancing your body, uh, comforting, relaxing, improving, exercising, clothing, strengthening, and satisfying your body. It's bios and bios and bios. And the message we get from marketers is that so long as you satisfy your bias, your material life, your biological life, then you will be living the full and complete life. Yet anecdotally, as we survey Los Angeles, as we survey Santa Monica, as we survey West Los Angeles, we see an incredible amount of wealth and we see a lot of miserable people. We see a lot of people... Uh, we see the wealthiest 1% of our world. We are consuming way too many antidepressants, both prescribed and self-medicated options. We see big and famous Hollywood stars who are completely depressed and completely broken, checking in and out of rehab, checking in and out of relationships, can't seem to hold down a relationship. They can depict love on the big screen, but they haven't held something down for more than three years in their own life. People who have all the bios anyone could imagine. They're right around the corner. They don't seem to be satisfied. It doesn't seem to be working. Now, even people who don't have all the bios, maybe that's you and me. Maybe the middle class, what, do they have it any better? Maybe it's just something about when you get too much, it becomes that. Well, that's not true. Have you ever heard somebody say, or maybe you've even said yourself, hey, if I could just make a little bit more money. Hey, if I could just achieve the next milestone in my career, hey, if I could just find a husband, settle down and pump out a few kids, then, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. What in the world is going on here? 
The Bible tells us that we need more than bias. The stuff of life is good. It was created by God. But even if we get it, it will not completely satisfy. We need something else. We need Zoe. We need spiritual life that can only come from Jesus. Jesus says this to us over and over again. And more than we need a romantic relationship and more than we need new shoes to be satisfied, more than the poor need food, more than the wealthy need a skincare regimen or amazing one-of-a-kind unique travel experiences, we need Zoe. We need spiritual life that can only come through Jesus. One of my favorite Christian authors, his name is C.S. Lewis. Look what he says about this exact idea. He says this in his wonderful book, Mere Christianity. He, he writes, uh, God created us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gas and it doesn't properly run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. God himself is the fuel of our, our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's just no good asking God to make you happy in your own way without having to bother about Christianity. God can't give you happiness and peace apart from himself. There's no such thing. Now think of your life as an engine. And the problem with this is that we have this engine and people try to pour their, into their engine stuff other than God. That's why the engine fails. What are you pouring into your life this Christmas? This is why the birth of Jesus is important. It is a reminder and it is a demonstration that Jesus has come to fill your deepest needs. The things you are turning to could that aren't Jesus to fill the thing that only Jesus can fill won't satisfy you. You need Zoe. You need the spiritual life that can only be found in Jesus. And let me tell you, friends, there's some of you that are Jesus followers or you've prayed the prayer and you're a Christian. This is for you too. This is not just for people that are like, I've never experienced God before and I'm in this church at 10 a.m. Yeah, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Well, you should do that too. But for the other people who have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes to you again this Christmas and he says, hey, have you turned to bios instead of Zoe, the Zoe, the spiritual life that I have for you? Um, that's my second point. The third point I want to make is, is, so we have through Jesus, we are formed through Jesus. We are filled and through Jesus, we are found forever. Look what it says in John one, five, I want to share this. And then, and then I want to invite some of us to respond. It says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Have you ever been in a dark place? Yes. Partially the back half of this room. Uh, Have you ever been in a dark place? You couldn't see something. uh, And what do you do when you can't see something and you can't find like a light switch? Uh, You get your phone out and you turn on your little flashlight and then all of a sudden you can see better. Light does something to darkness that darkness can't do to light. And what we see is that light penetrates darkness. That light by its very nature makes lost things found. You can see things that you couldn't see before. And it's, uh, friends, this is what Jesus is. Jesus' life serves as light. It shines into the darkness and the whole world makes a lot more sense. And it's not that Jesus just helps lost things be found and they get lost again. Jesus' light, when it gets established, changes everything. His light doesn't go away. Look, it says, 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Once Jesus establishes his light in the world, it's not going away. His light cannot be overcome. The things he is accomplishing the world in the world will stand the test of time. He will rule over darkness forever. This lasting light, this lasting power, it reminds me of the angel Gabriel's words when he comes to Mary. He comes to Mary. Mary's just like, hey, I'm just going to sit here. I'm a, I'm a younger person. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm, I, love G, I love God. And uh, Gabriel comes to her and he says this. In, in Luke 1, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. I'd be pretty scared if an angel was like, hi, I'm Gabe. And, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And you know, there's a lot of things in this world that are going to end. Like I said before, every government, every president that's ever been will one day not be president. Every government that's ever been launched will one day end. Every uh, oppressing situation that exists in the world will one day end. And even our own lives will one day end. But there's one whose reign, whose light, whose strength, whose power will never end. And that's Jesus. And Jesus is here and Jesus is pushing back the darkness. And he's saying, uh, my reign will never end. My kingdom will never end. Come to me. Be a part of what I'm doing in the world. You can bring to Jesus your thoughts, your emotions, the things you're working with. You can ask God to shine light on those things. And when you do, he does things to heal you, to change you. He pushes out the darkness. And this Christmas... We are celebrating that Christ was born 2,000 years ago. But what I want to commend to you today is, will you allow Christ to be born in you? Will you allow him to enter into your life in a new way? Will you allow him to shine his light? Will you allow him to form you, to fill you? Will you allow yourself to be found in him? And this Christmas... We have so many things we could welcome in. We can welcome in people. We can welcome in anger. We can welcome in frustration. We can welcome in just the joys of Christmas. Alongside of that, you can welcome in the power of Jesus. Think differently this Christmas. He is the word of God and he loves you and he's for you. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. Why don't we all stand?